My name is Caroline Liefers, and welcome to another episode of the Disability History Association podcast. It's my pleasure today to welcome Dr. Hannah Thompson. Hannah is a reader in the School of Modern Languages, Literatures, and Cultures at Royal Holloway, which is located just outside of London. We're bending the rules a little bit today because Hannah's not actually a historian. She's a specialist in French literature, but we won't hold it against her. <laughs> There's a lot of historical interest in her work, and we're absolutely delighted to have the chance to discuss it with her today. So Hannah, thank you so much for being here, and it is a pleasure to be bending the rules with you. Thank you for having me. No problem. I'd like to start our conversation today by introducing your new book, which just came out in September of 2017. Congratulations. Thank you. It's cleverly titled Reviewing Blindness in French Fiction, 1789 to 2013. Great title. Beyond that, which I think gives us a general idea, can you tell us what this book is about? So it's about, um, it's a survey of literary depictions of blindness in French fiction but it's it goes beyond the kind of stereotypical negative tragedy depictions and it really is about how um, quite a wide range of French fictional um, texts talk about blindness in in quite exciting creative and new ways. Mm, that's excellent. I think exciting, creative, and new also describes um, your work itself, which is, which is really <laughs> great. Now, in your introduction, you call yourself a close reader. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that, and maybe how your own life and experiences kind of factored into your analysis in this book? Okay, so I'm partially blind, and I use um, magnifying devices to read with, and I always have done. Um, and so that means that um, I really only read kind of one or two words at a time. Mm. So I can't, I can't kind of skim read, and I can't kind of like um, read really quickly. Um, but actually, and, and, and this is, you know, I used to think it was this is a problem because it slows me down, and I, you know, I, I'm. My my um my area of expertise is nineteenth century nineteenth century French novel and they're very long so it used to take me it takes me it takes me days to read them but then I realised that actually close reading so when I reading in detail um, means that you notice things about the text that other people don't and so I've kind of turned this into a virtue and so my the way that I've dealt with this corpus is is through very close analysis so I I quite often pick up. Um, kind of just how how one image is used or or a, or a phrase or a, a sentence um, and then I analyze it in quite a lot of detail and maybe make links between different texts that use similar language for example um, so it means that there's a lot of kind of de detailed it's, it's more about the detail in the texts rather than kind of the over the general overview well, that's really interesting um, so one of the themes that runs through your book is that I'm quoting you here blindness itself is a collection of stories. You also use the term meta-narrative um, to talk about blindness and how it kind of appears and reappears in literature. So tell us a little bit more about what you mean by this. Okay, well, The Meta-Narrative of Blindness is actually um, a book by David Bolt that came out a couple of years ago. Um, and David does a really good job of going through kind of all the negative stereotypes and myths of blindness, which you find again and again in fiction and also in life. Um, um, and so basically his argument is that is that blindness is never, it's never kind of, um, it's always filtered through narratives and it's always a story of some, of some kind. So I've kind of taken that 
and looked at how the texts that I'm looking at tell different stories about blindness. So blindness is kind of, um, you know, it generates plot, it generates narrative, um, but it also kind of disrupts the assumptions that we make about narrative um, and therefore creates different kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. And I think actually you've hit the nail right on the head there. And that's one of the reasons that I think it's so significant that we're bringing you, a literary scholar, into this conversation that is largely about people who are interested in history, right? Because I think your work is really for anybody who works with text and language, who thinks about what blindness is kind of made to mean culturally and how um, texts can abstract lived experiences, right? Mm. So it's very exciting to be talking to you about that. So in the book, you've you've really managed to find a corpus of literature that, and you, you <laughs> reference it, a huge number of books, it's really quite impressive, that complicate these um, stereotypical stories or myths, right? So would you mind just going through a few of your favorite examples of writers who are kind of challenging or pushing back against stereotypes of blindness? Okay, so I guess there are um, there are writers who um, kind of uh, talk about the 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 kind of um, positive elements to do with you know associated with blindness. Um, so uh, who uh, so for example who kind of celebrate the way that a non-visual relationship with the world can can mean that you're that um, that you notice things let's say about about the landscape or nature mm. that you wouldn't normally that you wouldn't notice you know if you weren't paying attention um and so there that so so Jean Giono is a really good example of that and his writing is really he has a he has a um when he has blind characters in his work his writing becomes really multi-sensory so he doesn't really kind of um talk about what it's like to be blind but he changes the way he describes the landscape very subtly so he doesn't talk about what things look like he talks about you know the sound of the the, the water or the sound of the, the smell of the trees mm. so you have a sight the sighted reader kind of gets taken into this non-visual um environment without realizing it mm. but 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 has uh, you know and then has a kind of um a more immersive reading experience as a result of that um the other my other favorite example is lucien decave who wrote an absolutely astonishing book called, um, well, in French it's called Les Ormurets, so it can it could be translated as the trapped or the walled up, um, and it's kind of a, a description of of um, a blind community in France in in Paris in the late 19th century, and he talks about kind of how hard it is to get a job and the the kind of um, the way that sighted people kind of um, you know discriminate against blind people either kind of knowingly or unknowingly. So they make lots of lots of characters in the book that make assumptions about what a blind person can do. You know, we can't we can't ask them to do this because they won't manage it, that kind of thing. Mm. Um and both of them, so Giono and Descaves both kind of show just by just by like the you know, including the their characters in stories that are not just about blindness. Mm. That that actually, you know, blindness is is not a it's not a disaster, it's not a tragedy. It doesn't it doesn't stop people from living fulfilling lives you know it's just a different way of getting through life Mm -hmm. um it it, you know as as we all kind of just as we all do Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely and one of the really important concepts that you kind of develop in this book is what you call quote blindness gain and Mm. I think you're you're kind of getting at it in, in what you're describing here so 
tell us a little bit more about where this concept comes from. What does it mean? And how is it different from what you also call the compensation myth, right? So one of these right. stereotypes about blindness. Okay, so I first encountered the notion of, um, well, disability gain in the work of Kathy Kudlick. Mm. I'm sure your, your, your listeners um, know her work. Um, and she, and this is kind of a concept that's come from critical disability studies. So um, scholars in the deaf community or deaf, deaf studies scholars have talked about deafness gain. And then we, we talk about disability gain. And I've kind of talked about blindness gain. So it's the idea that, that blindness brings something um, to to experience to, to human experience, which uh, which um, can benefit kind of is is like um, a benefit to everyone, so to blind people and sighted people, um, and it's it's kind of you know it's it's like an advantage. It's almost like blindness is an advantage. The other reason, the other thing is that you know traditionally when med when medics talk about um, blindness, they talk about sight loss. Mm. Um, so, so blindness is always positive as kind of a negative, yeah. you know, as a kind of the, the, the poor relation of sight. So by using blindness gain, I really wanted to kind of flip that and remind people that, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a kind of an erroneous stance to say that sight is always preferable to blindness. Okay, so there's the point about the compensation myth. It's one of the um, the most familiar stereotypes of blindness, and most people will have encountered this in some form in a in a film or a book or or, or um, you know a kind of a newspaper article. Mm. And it's basically this this idea that when you when you lose your sight, your other senses kind of magically become enhanced, and you know it. it so people suddenly become musicians or or brilliant or you know or really gifted kind of um, gifted chefs or or perf- perfume um, kind of testers or whatever. Mm. Um, and this is, there's no scientific basis for this at all. It's just it's just you know what happens is that if if you know once you if you're not using sight, you you tend to think more about your other senses but people have used it as kind of a, a way of saying that sight is is you know when it's when you lose sight when you're lacking when your sight is lacking you somehow need to compensate using your other senses and I would argue that actually that's not the case because sight isn't actually in fact as essential as as we we in western society have been trained to believe mm. um and so you know uh blind people just just operate differently in a, in a more kind of embodied or multi-sensory way um, and blindness gain is trying to kind of show that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by celebrating blindness for its own sake without the need to kind of uh, shore it up with any kind of compensation mm. I think that's really really nicely articulated and I think and you should correct me if I'm wrong but it seems like in your book you really develop the idea of blindness gain to um, describe not only what the characters actually do in their lives, you know, what what they decide to do, how they engage with the world, but also about what the author allows him or herself to do creatively with language and description mm. when there's a blind person or blind character involved, right? Um, so right. there's these kind of two levels at which blindness gain seems to be operating in your work. And I think that's especially exciting, right? It, it makes your, your work really rich. Well, I think that comes from the close reading as well, is that I'm always really interested in style and form as well as content. And traditionally, I've found that quite a lot of work on disability tends to focus on the theme of disability and content, you know, how depictions of, uh, you know, a certain disability in a set of texts. Mm -hmm. But actually, my, you know, I think blindness 
the presence of blindness in novels, whether or not the author's blind or sighted, has an, has an impact. In the most interesting cases, it has an effect on the style, the, what the kind of language used, mm-hmm. um, and how the writer thinks about language, mm-hmm. uh, and you know how the writer communicates that to the reader. So it also, therefore, has an impact on the, on the experience of reading. Oh, absolutely. And it's so rich to think about blindness working in that way, as opposed to, you know, what you describe as these kind of stereotypes, like blindness as ignorance, blindness Mm. as naivete, or, you know, alternatively, blindness as special knowledge, blindness as desexualizing, right? You're constantly engaging with those ideas in your work, because of course, they recur again and again in French fiction. But Mm. you also find these really interesting analytical ways of complicating that narrative, right? I think that's really exciting. So I'm going to also uh, highlight a couple of terms that you use in your book that I just think our audience is going to really enjoy learning and they relate to what we've just been discussing. So you'll have to correct me if I mispronounce them, but mm-hmm. one of them is uh, tiflophile, I think, mm-hmm. and yeah. the other one is tiflophobe. So yes. these these were new terms to me. I think they're super interesting and I would love for you to tell us about what they mean and why they're important in your work. Okay, so they came. They were they were coined in as far as I as far as I can find out. They were coined in 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 nineteenth century France. Mm. So a tiflophile um, is someone who who um, is a supporter of blind people. So I guess we'd say maybe like an advocate okay. for for, bl- for the rights of blind people. Okay, um, and then a tiflophobe is the opposite. So it's someone who's frightened of blind people, um, and and this is really different from the fear of blindness. So, uh, and David Bolt talks about the fear of blindness in his work. But what I found in these French texts is that there's more a kind of, um, there's more an engagement with people. So some characters and authors are very supportive of blind people. Um, and Lucien Descaves is the best example. And in the, in the French, um, in the La Rousse that I, that I used to, 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 um, to research the terms, he's actually given as an example of, of Tiflophile. Um, um, and he, so he's very he's he's a sighted person who's very kind of supportive of the rights of blind people in the late 19th century, um, and so I, I there are there are texts which kind of demonstrate this either this this kind of interest in blind people or this fear of blind people, and I think it's quite a helpful way of thinking about how writers and therefore also uh, well characters and readers position themselves in relation to blindness. Oh, absolutely. I think those terms could work uh, in quite a lot of historians' work as well, which right. is why I yeah. wanted to, to bring them to people's attention. Now, you have a chapter in your book that I absolutely love that's about science fiction. I think this is so exciting, so different from what you might expect when you think about French literature, right? Um, and you describe a book where these invisible aliens come to Earth, and it takes a blind person to kind of figure out what's happening. Um, and then there's another book where a character's eyes are replaced with electrosensors. It's, it's all really fascinating. So tell us a little bit more about what makes science fiction a kind of particularly interesting genre, right, when you're studying blindness. Well, I suppose it's because it can really break the rules. It doesn't have to, um, it doesn't have to kind of conform to lived experience. So either the actual lived experience of blind people or what, what people imagine the lived experience of blind people is, which are, you know, two really different things, but which are often conflated. Mm. So instead it can, it can really like push the, 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 it can really, you know, it can be a place where writers can, can really kind of experiment with what a world w- without sight would be like. So, um, 
in in the text about the aliens, the only people that can truly kind of understand the nature of the alien presence are blind people because they um, are uh, are not relying on their sight to see these things are invisible. Okay, mm -hmm. so sighted people just cannot understand how they how they exist or how they occupy a place in the world because they, they they're too reliant on their sight. So so sightedness becomes a limitation. And it's shown very clearly in the text that it's um, it's kind of equated with a lack of imagination and a and a kind of you know reliance on on you know seeing as believing, um, whereas the, the blind characters in the book or the or the characters that embrace sighted characters who embrace blindness as a positive thing, become kind of experts because they can they can kind of um, they, they, they they they've lived their lives you know, imagining the world, imagining what the world looks like. So therefore, they're much more open to new possibilities. Mm. And it, it's, it's fascinating because it shows how easily um, our reliance on sight, well, it shows that, that's, that our reliance on sight is, is actually a, a construction. It's not, a, it's not, you know, it's just, it just so happens that's the way that our, that our society has become structured. Mm. So it kind of reminds us that it's quite arbitrary, actually, that sight is the sense that we, that we tend to rely on most. And it could, it could easily, you know, we could easily have, um, you know, lived in or things could have developed in a different direction. Yeah, that's really interesting. So just to, to um, give people the information they need, that book is by an author named Maurice Renal. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, and it's called the, the Blue Peril, the, the Le Paris Bleu. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Great. So if anyone wants to look it up, there's the information for you. <laughs> you also have a chapter on crime fiction. So can you tell us a little bit more, you know, just about what's going on there and about how blindness gain operates in crime fiction? So again, it's about, um, so I, I, was, I was quite surprised. I found kind of um, three recent novels in uh, three or four, four, four recent novels in France that will have blind protagonists in them. Um, and these are not the victims of crime, which is, you know, what maybe what one would expect if we were, one were kind of steeped in the stereotypes. Um, and they're not the detectives, but they kind of play this this um, kind of intermediary role between the sighted detectives and the solving of the case, hmm. because they um, they their their presence in the texts uh, alerts the, um, the the sighted characters to the different ways of gathering information. So you know, in in the in the Fred Vargas um, novel that I the 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 chalk circle man that I discuss, um, the blind character kind of notices things about the way people's voices sound um, and how people smell, which encourages the sighted inspector to um, think differently about or you know think differently about the assumptions he makes about people, um, and it, it's kind of a way. So again, it's a way of kind of showing showing that 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 blindness gives you access. If you if you embrace it in a positive way, it gives you access to information, um, which is actually which is you know completely um, present in in our you know in our world. It's just that we're not used to seeing it. You know, we're not used to noticing it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I want to kind of take that even to a, the the next question, which is there's a sometimes a gap between the lived experiences of blindness, I would imagine, and also mm. how they're represented in fiction, right? 
And so uh, obviously science fiction represents a, a pretty big gap. <laughs> Detective fiction, maybe less so. But do you find books in the corpus that you studied that are dealing really honestly with the lived experience and perhaps even depicting blind people like every people, you know, with um, some negative characters, you know, characters mm. who do bad things or that kind of thing and do you, do you... yeah absolutely I mean again um so um Desert Vergler the uh, the blind or of the blind by Hervé Guibert is, is a really really good example um of this so he um so he was he was a sighted um writer who actually volunteered to read to to blind students in the French National Institute for the Blind uh, in Paris and and he was and it, as, because of that he, he was interested he became interested in kind of um, the lives of blind people in this institution and, and wrote a kind of novel, which is very, um, I mean, it's very, it's very sensual. It's very, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of kind of non-visual description, but it also is quite, it's, it's, there's, there's, um, some, it's, there's elements of pornography. There's some, there's a murder. So the, the blind people, the blind characters, they're not heroes. They're not idealized um, they're not kind of above the rest of humanity. They're just ordinary people with flaws yeah. who, um, who do, who, who, you know, are quite manipulative. They can be quite selfish. They're, they're just kind of, you know. And so um, it's really refreshing because it basically re- reminds us that, that blind people are, are primarily people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like everyone, they have, um, you know, they're all different for a start. So you can't generalize and say this is how blind people live. Um, and, and they all, all the characters have, you know, their, their, their particular idiosyncrasies and their quirks and, um, and blind, that blindness is just, is just one of many kind of features. Um, and it's not, you know, not necessarily their defining feature. It's just a, a you know, part of the, of, 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 of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I found that really refreshing because of the, the problem with literature, with depictions of blindness in literature is that they do tend to. Um, you know, you only have a blind character when the whole plot is about blindness, and that's obviously that's you know quite often the case in film as well, or TV series, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and it's nice just to see that there are kind of you can have a stories which are about m- much more than 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 blindness, but but it was, but also are about you know provide some of the mo- most interesting kind of um, interesting just, just depictions of blindness yeah. as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, when I was reading your book, I was trying to mentally. Um, categorize whether you can make any generalizations right about how blind authors handle blindness and blindness gain versus how sighted authors handle blindness or blindness gain and I I was finding it actually difficult to mm. neatly categorize it. Oh, blind authors tend to be more you know realistic in their depiction it doesn't seem to work that way right it seems more complicated than that so yeah I mean it's, I don't have that many there aren't that many blind authors in my corpus unfortunately because you know, the, 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 they're just, you know, if you, if you weigh up the number of sighted authors and the number of blind authors who've, who've lasted through kind of, you know, whose books have, have, have kind of, you know, been part, become part of the, 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 the canon, if you like. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, hugely weighted in, in favor of, of sighted writers. However, the one thing I did notice, um, it's not so much to do with the content, but again, it's more to do with the style. Is that blind and and look by Romain Villet is is a good example of this. Um, blind authors, because because they have different ways of writing, so we'll write by ear. We'll yeah. we'll 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 use um, you know um, assistive technologies to to listen back to their text. Yeah, tend have a more I'd say kind of poetic, more sensitive relationship with language. Um, 
and that is also the case for Hervé Guibert in Des Aveugles. And I think that's because he he was aware of what a text sounds like when it's read aloud. Yeah. Yeah. As he because he'd been reading aloud, he um he had a kind of more of a sense of of the sound of texts. So I think that might be a difference. I think sighted people don't tend sighted writers don't don't tend to read their their material out loud hmm. as much as blind writers do. I mean, obviously there are exceptions, like you know, famously Gustave Flaubert used to read his texts out loud, and I always tell my students to read their essays out loud before they submit them because you can just tell if it, a sentence sounds wrong. Yeah. Um, but I don't think people do it instinctively. Whereas if you're writing using text to speech software. Mm-hmm. You have to listen to your words all the time, mm-hmm. and I think maybe that's translated into into the the style, the kind of the, the feel of the prose. But not so. I wouldn't say so much in the content, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting observation. Again, perhaps one of the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like payoffs of your close reading, right? And, and the right. way that you approach a yeah. text. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, obviously, the other thing to say is that you can't generalize and. And every blind person experiences blindness differently, mm-hmm. and that's why this is this is this. That's why it's kind of, in a way, it's impossible to write a book about how blindness is depicted because once you move away from the stereotypes, blindness is it's intensely personal, mm-hmm. um, and there isn't you can't say, live you know blindness is this and that and and you know everyone has a shared. There are you know I guess maybe what most blind people share is. Um, is cited responses to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are quite. Those you know, people, cited people have a tend 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 you know tend to have a, a certain number of uh, stereotypical responses to blindness, which which then affect the way they talk talk to blind people. Maybe, but I would say that blind people you can't you can't kind of say right this is this is the experience of blindness. Hmm. That's a really excellent observation. And uh, I, just as you warned us against making generalizations, I'm going to ask you if you can make a generalization. <laughs> Sorry, Hannah. But uh, I, I know you didn't organize your book chronologically, even though it covers this vast terrain, right, from 1789 all the way to 2013. But I do want to, as a historian, I have to do this a little bit, I do want to mm. push the chronological question, right? So did you notice changes over time? Have certain narratives of blindness become more or less prevalent, right? Have we as a society become more or less visual? Did In reading this huge, across this huge corpus, did you happen to notice trends over time that you wanted to flag? I mean, I'd, I'd say certainly it isn't the case that as we've progressed, we've got more understanding of blindness. That is absolutely not the case. I would say in, in France, there was a well, historically, there was a lot of interest in blindness in the 18th century, you know, with Diderot and the Encyclopédie and 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 the kind of um, uh, the kind of philosophical blindness was very interesting to philosophers because it gave them access to, um, you know, people. How does the the mind work without sight? And I don't talk about this in the book really because it's been it's, it's, there's a lot of material on it, um, and that, that was you know um, uh, pre 19th century. Yeah. In the 19th century, um, I would say. Around kind of the the around the 1870s 1880s, that's when blindness became kind of that. I would say that's when it was it was seen in its most positive light in France. So um, I mean, there are historical reasons for this. You know, Braille was the the, the alphabet was was embedded by then in um, and was becoming universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also when the library 
um, and the um, the archive that I was using was founded you know, around 1886. So there was a real recognition that blindness, that it was important that blindness, that blind people understood their history, and well, that they had a history. Yeah. Mm, that they were a, they were a valid community group who had a, a shared history, um, and and you know I, I would say around the time of the publication of of Dickow's novel, um, so yeah, in the 1880s, that's when France was really taking quite a, I'd say quite a positive kind of progressive interest in blindness. Hmm. Um, but I don't think that's kind of necessarily been sustained, hmm. you know, because I think, um, you know, yeah, Western society has become more ocular centric in the 20th century and, um, you know, has an obsession with sight always leads people to to assume that blindness is a is a is a problem yeah because you know the more obsessed you are with sight the harder it is to imagine that a person without sight could could function mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i mean but having said that you know there, there is a lot of important work like historical work on blindness in france so zina vegand is the is the kind of the absolute key figure um historian in this area um and then and then martin jay has written on kind of the, the denegation of sight in French literature, in French in French thought, actually, in the 20th century. So those two works look more at the co- the kind of overall the context, if you like, the kind of the general historical position of blindness. So again, I didn't really think feel like I needed to do that so much in my in my book. I wanted to kind of it's like a companion. I see my book as a kind of companion to the historical accounts of blindness or the the histories of blindness. Um, showing how because the point the point of blindness is that most people most people encounter blindness through fiction Mm. you know you 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 will have read more you will have you will have met more blind people in fiction and film than you will have met than you will have had a conversation with so um so it's really important to understand how blindness is depicted Mm. and why you know why it's created in the way it is yeah yeah um, and I want to just rewind back to what you mentioned about a, a particular library and archive that you worked in. You know, I, I'm sure some of our audience are going to be historians. They're always interested in learning about new repositories. So this was the Valentin Aoui, is that what mm-hmm. it's called? The That's library right. in Paris. So can you yeah. tell us a bit more about, about what this library is, how you got to find it, that sort of thing? Well, I mean, it, I, was, I was told about it by Zina Vegond, who, who, um, who did a lot of research there. Um, and it's a really quite extraordinary collection of um of texts um which so that it was start the collection was started by Maurice de la Suzanne in um 18, 1886 um and it's uh basically he, he decided to collect an, an example of every text every French text that mentions blindness oh my goodness. so <laughs> um, yeah it's, it's extraordinary so you know there are novels there are lots and lots of um Short stories from like you know popular fiction serialized in newspapers like nineteenth century serial fiction, which I don't talk about in my book because I've written about them elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were also kind of um, you know scientific um, textbooks and kind of journals. Um, and so basically for me it was astonishing because all everything you know the catalog became my bibliography. So I basically read um, every novel that was mentioned in the catalog of this collection. Um, and the, most of the most of the novels they have, but the novels they didn't have, I could I could you know I could I could find elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and it's still, I mean, it's it's um, it's it's 
severely underfunded um and in fact now is pretty much being run by you know by volunteers wow. um and it which is you know really worrying because it's not digitized and so a lot of these these result these really rare resources um are, are gonna you know uh, people are people don't have access to them it's also not at the moment it's not accessible to blind people mm. um mm. which is a bit of a problem it's a huge problem actually and that's yeah. why that's another reason why why my my close reading approach was so important because but I, I've quoted quite a lot of novels in in my book so that so that be, and my book is available electronically so that blind people can actually have access to the literature which represents blindness mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I think is is kind of crucial yeah very interesting so thank you for for sharing that with us um now following up on what we were talking about as well about perhaps becoming more ocular centric as a society your book is very interested in the ocular centrism of language and um by extension this often positions blindness as a, a lack right so mm we use expressions all the time, like, I see what you mean, or, you know, let's shed some light on the issue. That's a very <laughs> ocular-centric kind of expressions that associate seeing with knowing, right? And I know that many of us as you know, writers, scholars, historians, anybody who really engages with words in general, are trying to find less ableist and less ocular-centric ways of expressing ourselves, right? So in all of this work on blindness in literature, did you, I'm going to use another visual term here, but did you gain any insight? into how we can kind of deal with this problem that's embedded in our language um I mean I think I think it's kind of actually impossible to to avoid mm -hmm. you know our language is, is so it's um yeah the, these these ocular centric references are so kind of as you say embedded in our language that it's, it would become it's quite artificial to try and avoid them yeah. and you know the title of my book is is purposefully uh, reviewing yeah. blindness it's purposely kind of playing with that I think that the key is to, to acknowledge that that this is a, a linguistic construct um mm -hmm. you know it's a shorthand but it doesn't it doesn't mean there's a, there's an actual link between seeing and knowing mm -hmm. you know sight doesn't it doesn't necessarily give you privileged access to knowledge it's just a way that it's you know it's like a um it's like a code that we've that we use as long as we all understand that it's just a code it's just a construction um you know the danger is that people don't understand that yeah. and and so assume that sight you know sight uh, equals knowledge and therefore blindness equals ignorance yeah. and clearly that's not that's not the case so that's kind of but i think we just need to keep flagging it and you know most people that write on blindness in literature have have a section somewhere in their book which you know flags this up you know david bolt does it martin jay does it georgina Klieg does it um so it people, but I think we just need to keep seeing it, keep saying it, and keep reminding people. I mean, I don't, I don't want to kind of police language, and I don't want to kind of say to people, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't say to me, see you later, mm. because that, that, you know, because that, that's, you know, I, I have to live in a world with other people in it, that, that have, <laughs> you know. But it's, you just have to understand the difference between language and an actual and reality. Yes, yes. I like your suggestion that as long as we're keeping conscious of that, right, and continuing mm. to flag it, that that's doing a lot of the work already, right? If that but the other thing is that, so what I'm trying to do is reclaim blindness as a positive term rather than a negative term. Yeah. So, you know, I describe myself as partially blind rather than partially sighted because I'm, I'm not, I'm not completely blind. I'm, I'm, I'm aspiring towards that, mm. but I, you know, but I'm still, so, you know, that's why I talk about blindness gain rather than sight loss. Yeah. So, 
I think if we if we kind of celebrate blindness, then 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 we we're less likely to make um, negative assumptions about blindness and say you know blindness ignorance for example. Yeah, that's beautifully put. I really really like that. I also want to before I let you go back to your normal life, I want to chat with you a little bit about some of the other exciting work that you've been doing. You are not just a French fiction expert. <laughs> you also have a quite a popular blog actually that's called Blind Spot, another excellent title. So I'm going to encourage everyone to check it out. It's Hannah um Thompson dot blogspot.com or dot ca or dot co dot uk depending on where you're based Um, so what made you decide to start a blog well I I basically started it at the same time as I started this this project and so um it was originally kind of to 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 chart how the, the development of the project you know to describe kind of what I was finding in the library in Paris and then I kind of started writing about um what it was like to to get to Paris like so practical stuff like how how does how does a blind person um find a train you know mm-hmm. how, how does how would a blind person travel independently and then I, I kind of realized that actually because I'm I've got one foot in each camp I'm I'm you know I'm half blind half sighted yeah I, I can I, I can you know I have a I have a very kind of um I don't know interesting way of looking at things if mm-hmm. you like mm-hmm. um um, and so I kind of realized that, you know, I had a lot of things I wanted to say, which weren't going to go in the book, um, but which I wanted, you know, I actually kind of felt quite strongly needed to be said. Um, so I basically just started, you know, I didn't, I had no idea it would, it would, it would kind of, you know, um, you know, become as big as it's got or be, have as much posts I mean I think as you know there's I've probably written more words in the blog than I have in the book which is <laughs> it's not not really what I was expecting would happen um but it just seems to have caught people's imagination and it's 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 you know it's put me in touch with a lot of people who who have experienced similar things you know who feel frustrated about the way that um, blind people are treated or that the assumptions people make when they see you using a white cane for example then they make certain um, judgments which which are frustrating and I just kind of felt that it's important to a bit like with the language thing it's important just to keep saying mm-hmm. you know um this is this is happening and it shouldn't be mm-hmm. or this is happening and it's really interesting and let's think about you know why this is happening or maybe what we can do to to make sure it doesn't happen or it happens in a different way Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it's it's really quite an intriguing blog when you get into it. And I read a few of your most recent blog posts that have been about a project relating to audio description and accessibility. So you're talking mm-hmm. about your trips through various museums, for example. And this is something that I think a lot of our audience um, who might engage with public history, for example, are going to be really interested in. So what what has been your experience in terms of you know, what we put in quotes as like accessibility? And it can often vary pretty wide. Mm. So, I mean, I'd say, I'd say, first of all, I think it's really important to say that I would say in the last kind of two or three years, museums have really upped their game. Mm, um, and now it's actually quite rare to go into a museum and not find something in an accessible format. However, um, that the, there are, you know, there are lots of different ways of providing um, accessible formats. So, um, Mm, there, I mean, so okay, so the Human Rights Museum in in, in Winnipeg, um, in Canada, is a really good example of this. It's 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 brilliantly accessible. Um, there's everything. All the displays have kind of audio, and you can you can kind of press buttons and and get the displays to talk to you. Um, 
Um, and I was really impressed with that aspect of it. But the whole logic of the museum is based on um, a journey from darkness to yeah. light. Yeah. Okay. So darkness is ignorance and light is knowledge. And so on the one hand, it's, it's, it's really welcoming to blind people in terms of access to the exhibits. But on the other hand, it basically still says we think blindness is, uh, you know, we think darkness and, and then therefore blindness is about ignorance. Yeah. So it, it kind of reinscribes a quite you know extremely oculocentric view of of kind of knowledge um and so well i mean that's that's just one example but what so what i've been trying to do is think about audio description as kind of an art form in its own right mm. rather than an added on accessibility feature so you know um so if a, if a blind person goes to the cinema and listens to the audio description track that is as integral to their experience of the film as, say, lighting or costumes or casting or narrative structure uh, would be. OK, we, we don't tend to separate. You can't separate the two out. Mm -hmm. um, and so but it's but audio description isn't really seen as an art form. It's not celebrated as a creative profession in the same way that, say, um, set design is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to think about ways of of changing that. And, and one of the ways of changing that is is getting people um you know accessibility officers to think to think about co-curation and maybe getting blind people involved in audio description oh absolutely you know rather than having it a kind of let's you know let's have the sighted people decide what blind how the blind people want to access this maybe having having it more as a kind of creative conversation kind of collaboration rather than a um yeah rather than a, a service provided I suppose absolutely and one of my favorite entries in your blog and I encourage everyone to read this is your description of um the audio description at a euro oh the football match yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. is it euro 2016 is that right yeah yeah it's absolutely it, wonderful <laughs> <laughs> it was quite an astonishing experience actually um and I was sitting completely by chance. I was sitting really near where the audio describers were. Mm. So they spotted me and they came over and, and met me beforehand. And then and then I met them afterwards. And so I, I was able to kind of like talk to them about, about how they'd done the description. And and so they got some actual like live feedback from a fan, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was it was a, a completely chance. I mean, now I, I, I wouldn't go to a football match. Um, I guess soccer is what I mean, um, without, <laughs> without, without, audio, without description, because it, it completely transformed my experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, what you just described about being able to meet with them is just the sort of mm. conversation that you're talking about needs to happen more. So I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I want to thank you so much for joining us today for the podcast, for your time. It's been an absolute privilege to get to talk to you about your book. And I hope I've converted some of our more historical minded listeners to the beauty of studying literature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. And um, you, you have some beautiful beautiful lines in your book and I just want to leave our listeners and people who are reading this in the transcribed form with um, what you write which is that blindness is a valuable and important way of being in the world with powerfully creative potential I think that's so beautiful I'm so glad that you wrote that for all of us to appreciate thank you thank you so much well thank you so much for helping us um, explore these topics today and take care and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon bye